our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Welcome if you're just joining us. We've got Cheryl Shaw here, Paul McCarthy. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, Sarah. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to have you back in the studio. Now, 49216216 is our number. If you've got a question, a query, something interesting about pets that you might just want to talk about, then Paul is here to help you. And Cheryl, we're going to have a chat about something that's been annoying you lately. Oh, absolutely, Sarah. I've got to get it off my chest. Hey, well, here's the place to do it. Welcome, Jennifer, in Patterson. Now, you've got an issue with your kitty cat missing the litter tray. Yeah, well, he go, goes to the toilet, right? He does what he wants to do. He poops. But when he finishes, he thinks he's finished, he bounces and ends up, and half it ends up on the floor. <laughs> okay. So what kind of, what style of litter tray do you have, Jennifer? A pretty big tray. Is it littered? Is it got a, uh, is it got a top on it or is it just no, a... No, just an open one. Yeah, I would suggest maybe looking for a, a closed littered litter tray might be your best option for that one. Yeah. Um, is it, it because, because we got him from the RSPCA, right? Mm-hmm. Is it because he lost his mother and mother didn't teach him what to do? Cause no, no. I've had cats all my life. Yep. And I've never had this issue, but it's classic to see. You've got to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so it, sometimes for, for cats, it can be quite a difficult um, behavioural thing to sort of be caught in those scenarios. So often what they try and do is they try to rush through it as fast as they can, which sometimes means they get a bit messy. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes giving them some seclusion so they don't feel they've got to rush the job may mean that your cat gets the tray more times than it doesn't. Yeah. So, yeah, so often a, a hood or placing the tray in a, in a darker or closed-in area um, can often help that as well. Yes. But, yeah, l- less likely to be about a mismothering situation in that um, they don't tend to learn those techniques. So even, yes. even um, kittens who have been hand-reared without, um, before even sight has been um, developed can still use the trays quite normally. So it, it won't be a mismothering scenario. <laughs> It'll be a behavioural situation just for this cat. It's funny, though. It's like you enjoy it, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had kit- cats and kittens all my life, and I love them. But this is the first one I've ever seen has ever done it. They're a bit of a challenge for you. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Good on you, Jennifer. Four nine two one six two one six is our number. We've got a free line if you've got a question today for Dr. Paul McCarthy. Hello, have you called for pet chat? Yeah, hi, Sarah. It's Hilton Steele here. Um, I'd like to talk to one of the vets. That's about uh, my little cat. He's a male, desex, just turned a year old. And um, after dinner at night, I've made the mistake of letting him out at night. And um, now after dinner at night, he just howls and howls and howls to get out. Yeah. And I don't want to let him out because he's come home with with um, rats and birds and you know, typical cat. Sure. I just don't know how to how to uh, placate him. Yeah, so this is a little bit of a, a controlled crying situation where um, you either ride the storm out um, mm-hmm. so that you just ignore the behaviour that's being elicited or you yep. redirect the behaviour. So if yep. this is the fact that he's enjoyed learning to hunt, 
then what you yes. can do is you can redirect that hunting techniques to be chasing things indoors. So often um, you can get these cool fishing line type things that have like a feather or a, a, a soft ball on the end and you yes. can sort of bounce them around and the cats can chase those. Um, yes. People often use laser pointers for those as well. Be cautious yes. never to point those directly towards your cat's face, but using those against the wall or down a hallway can be, be sort of stimulating that same behaviour. Because what yes. you're trying to do is teach a new game. So um, that, that's if it's game-related. Now, sometimes right. this will be about I've got other cats in my environment and I'm worried about them taking my turf when I'm not there. So most cats are somewhat nocturnal in their movements, and so lots of cats will try and take or claim territory in the evenings. That's why most cat fights you hear in, at night time. Yeah. Um, and in those circumstances, it can be slightly more challenging to redirect that behaviour because it's, it's about, I'm, I'm worried about losing my territory. Now, yeah. sometimes those circumstances, you look at trying to build one of those, like a cat max enclosure or an enclosure where your cat can go into. People often use aviaries for that purpose. So the mm-hmm. cat can still be outside on patrol but isn't actually able to catch birds or get into fights um, okay. so rather than displacing the behaviour you just place the cat in a safe zone ok yeah well I tried the toy thing and when he was a kitten he used to love playing with toys and stuff but um, but um, just now he, he's, he's totally disinterested and you can encourage that by using food rewards as well so people often forget that cats can be treated trained as well so um, do it before mealtime so you play the game before the food is out and then you can actually use the food as part of the game so the bird catches the they catches the um, the toy or catches the light and you flick a treat or flick some food. So what you then do is trying to re-engage the cat's behaviour by providing some food to sort of get into that game. So, oh, if I keep catching it, I'll get more to eat. And so you're trying to sort of turn the behaviour back towards food rather than just being a game. You know, some cats do get bored easily and if there's a better game to play, cats will try and play the better game. Paul, back to the suggestion of having an aviary and putting them in a secure um, mm. in- closure outside mm. could that be distressing for the cat if they can't get out if they're staking territory if another it, cat sort of came past it does depend on the cat's temperament and so i do often get people to sort of judge and see how things go um but generally most cats can can be able to let everyone know about their turf through stare and smell okay and so they don't always have to have direct territory patrolling to be able to keep that pace safe. That's a good alternative. We're going to go to Keely. Now, Keely, you've got a male cat. It had a stress-related UTI. It doesn't anymore. Uh, but now it's starting to urinate in the sink. Yeah, so he... Um, he that was actually how I, I found out that he had a UTI. He jumped up on the sink one morning when I was brushing my teeth and did a wee in the sink. And I went, what are you doing? And then I saw blood in his in his way, and I went, "Oh, he's letting me know." But now he just won't stop it. And I just want to know: is there anything that I can do to discourage him from doing this? I close the doors and I put stuff in the sink, and he, the moment like I open the door, he just jumps straight back up there and weaves. Yeah. Okay. So there's a few things you can do. How many litter trays do you currently have in the house? Sorry, how many litter trays? Yeah. One. Okay. Yeah, but so. It's downstairs. Yeah, so double that and place one in an area near where this sink is. Okay. 
Okay, so that's just your first step in you trying to redirect the urination to a more appropriate spot. The second thing is you can use citrus-based um, cleaning products in your sink and try and use a citrus-based washing-up liquid. And, and often the, the smell of citrus will actually be unpalatable to cats and they'll try and get rid of that. Okay. The, the second thing is, is throw some Drano down your sink as well. In it, sometimes if the, if the smell coming up from the, the area has a, a fairly pungent smell, the cat may believe that another cat is is marking the territory and so mm-hmm. often you want to try and just, just try and remove any other odors that are there but yep. but most commonly it's about the fact that this location is being seen by the cat to be a much safer and less stressful place to go and so i'm going to go here rather than where my other literate is so yep. it's yep. about trying generally the rule is for most um, cat households it's one cat one litter tray per cat and a spare so if you've got one cat, you have two trays. If you have two cats, you have three trays. If you have three cats, yep. you have four trays. Um, and the locations all need to be different. So you don't just place two litter trays side by side. You place them in different locations in the house to try and give the cat more opportunities to go in the appropriate spots. Mm-hmm. Okay, not a problem. I'll give that a go. And certainly don't also be, be careful is that... Um, under, underlying UTIs won't always show you blood. So if this is a situation where your cat keeps going here, it could be letting you know that I am still uncomfortable. Um, yep. And lots of UTIs in cats are related to diet. So have a chat to your local vet about some diets you can use. There are lots of good ones on the market. They'll try and decrease the frequency of UTIs, both for stress-related cats and for cats who have salt-induced crystals. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give her a call. Perfect. So some practical steps you can take there to try yeah, and rectify that. Yeah, this is a fairly common cool. scenario, Sarah. So okay. we, we hear this a lot. Um, and, and that's why the first question we always ask is um, how many litter trays you've got? Because I can almost guarantee that every cat who has that, the, the answer is always only one. Okay. Yeah, Two trays often know. fix most cats. Emma, hello to you. You're in Metford and your dog Arnold is doing some uh, undesirable behaviours at the dog park. Hi, yeah. So um, what happened was after he was fully vaccinated, because he was still a puppy, um, and he got the go-ahead to go and socialise with other dogs, I uh, took him to the dog park, and unfortunately he got attacked while he was there, um, and he got injured and everything. And then after he healed and all that, he's still showing some problem behaviours with some dogs where he will essentially just shut down and scream and run around crazy and he just seems to have a problem socialising now so I'm just wanting to get advice with what the best thing to do and how I how I can kind of train him out of that behaviour now. Sure Emma what breed of dog do you have? He's a Pomeranian. Okay so small breed dogs generally are very prone to these types of behaviours once they've had a negative um, social event. They're quite small, obviously, and so their ability to defend themselves gets tougher and tougher when they're meeting other dogs. So their best defence is to try and either bluff the animal away, so be as big and scary as you can, or as mm-hmm. make, make as much noise as you possibly can to try and distract the dog away. Um, so... Um, the big thing now is that we've got a dog who has linked all dogs, possibly, to a negative experience. And so you need to just take a, a step right back from what um, we would normally do, and that's that you're going to sit with a bag of favourite treats of Arnold's at a park bench somewhere, and every time he sees a dog from a distance, you're going to pay him a treat. 
So we're going to yep. try and link a positive with what he views as a negative. Um, and it's not going to be close play. It's going to be as far away as you can be initially so that the dog has had experience of the dog from such a distance that it hasn't gone into self-defence mode. If, yep. you, if you flood this dog with dogs too close, this situation will never go away. So okay. um, it's really important that we do this as a very gentle, gentle approach now in that because of that previous fearful experience, um, it's going to take a long time to resolve this. This is not going to be a couple of weeks and we're fixed. This is going to be a couple of years and, and we may be manageable rather than fixed. Okay, yeah. So have some realistic expectations of how much we can try and do to do this. Um, I would strongly suggest talking to your local vet about trying some behaviour-modifying drugs at the same time so that you can try and increase the capacity to learn during this period. So um, have a chat to them about using some antidepressants so that we can hopefully try and reduce some of the generalised anxiety about the situation so that when you are doing this desensitisation effect that you're getting the best learning capacity you can from the dog. Um, people are often very nervous about starting dogs at a young age on these drugs and to be honest, the, youngest you, the younger you start them, the faster the response will be. So please don't wait. I'll see. So often clients say, oh, I'll try this first and then I'll go. I would think in this circumstance where the, the, the behaviour is so extreme, I would get onto those meds as soon as you can. Um, okay, yep. Also, you could engage a trainer. Uh, have a one-to-one -one trainer come out and have a discussion with you about techniques you can do. What we're trying to do for Arnold is show him that the world is no longer as unsafe as he thinks it is. Um, now, Pomeranians are not always food motivated, so it may be a favourite toy of Arnold's or a favourite blanket of Arnold's. And so what you would do when you travel with Arnold to try and do this desensitisation is take what is his biggest rewarding treat toy or blanket so that we're okay. using his most favoured possession and he gets access to his favourite possession as soon as he sees a dog. Um, so what we're hoping to do, he sees dog, thinks, oh, my favourite toy's coming out or my favourite treat's coming out, rather than I see dog and think I'm going to get hurt. Yeah, OK. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Nikki. That would be a hard one as well because you know yourself when you, you've been in a situation where you've felt unsafe, it's very hard to then break yeah. that, that thought it, process. It, it, it's, it's sad in an uncommon scenario too is that often people um, uh, think that without fully vaccination that they can't expose them to their dogs to the world and, and this is a um, one of those myths that I'd love to have removed from general populace is that okay. you, you can socialise your dog very happily without them being fully vaccinated. There you go. You just do them from a distance and you pick your areas. Mm. So Papo, for example, won't live on concrete. He won't live on the road. Um, and so avoid off-lead dog park areas. But also don't forget that mum's antibodies are on board and the vaccinations are improving the immune system each time you get a vaccine. So it's very rare at all that any dog you've got from a breeder will have no parvovirus antibodies at all. Okay. So, I, I, so it's actually helpful. It's to, actually helpful. Yeah. 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 The socialisation for dogs, that window actually starts as soon as those eyes open. And so quite commonly, if we're waiting until 16 weeks when those full, those all three vaccinations are completed before we're exposing the dog to the, to, to the world, 
they will miss that socialisation window completely. Yeah. So you think you're doing the right thing, you're protecting your pup, but there, yeah. you can do steps beforehand to, yeah, to start the socialisation. It's a disappointing thing because we lose more dogs to euthanasia due to bad behaviour mm. than ever die of parvovirus. Like, it's, it's a... It's, I'm not quite sure how to, to break some of those, that sort of fear of parvovirus down. Because it's so huge, the socialisation. Yeah, the socialisation is critical. And, and literally, I haven't seen a parvo case for, oh, I, I don't even know how long. Um, but we euthanise a dog a week possibly due to having been, a, you know, a, due to aggression towards another dog or a person. And 99.9% of that time is due to poor socialisation. And Paul, let's just have a quick discussion about what's transmissible and not, because mm. uh, there was someone walking their pup the other day and uh, someone asked if they could pat said puppy and they said, oh, no, in case you've got COVID-19, I don't want my puppy getting it. Yeah. Now, look, this is the, the debate that's been raging wildly and, and data keeps changing, but... Um, Certainly, there was talk that if you had COVID on your hands and you placed your hands on another dog and then someone else touched your dog after you had just touched the dog, that the dog could act as a uh, vehicle of, of, tra of travel of, of the virus. Um, it has since been shown that it's probably very, very rare. Um, and the amount of COVID the person would have to have on them to be able to make it transferable from dog to you would be astronomically large. And the dog itself can't get it because they were concerned about the puppy rather than yeah. themselves. So, so lots of animals can get a coronavirus. So cats get a coronavirus that we vaccinate against. So coronavirus is um, uh, species-specific. Um, now, there were cases of animals who were testing positive to coronavirus, but it wasn't COVID-19. So I'd like to also reassure people that those tests that were corona positive weren't the virus that we were carrying. They were just corona virus of their own species. Some great information there, Paul. 49216216. Stephen Valentine, your dog got a tick a week ago. Yeah, she got a paralysis tick. Yep, and how, was it successfully treated? Yes, it was actually removed. Thank goodness. And, um, yeah, she's home. She's, she's under five. She's probably lost about almost a kilo in weight since last Wednesday. Oh, wow. She's finding it very hard. She's only about 4.4 at the moment, kilos. Um, she's finding it, I'm finding it hard to feed her. Um, she'd had some very soft stuff from the vet. Um, I'm just wondering if there's anything else that I might be able to do uh, to try and enhance her um, her eating because she's lit, uh, lacking water okay. But she's um, just not interested in any sort of food. She's got no interest in any sort of food at the moment. Steve, this is not a normal tick paralysis sign. So generally ticks will... So the reason that ticks often cause changes in appetite is that they paralyse the esophagus and make it difficult for animals to swallow. But yeah. once the tick's treated... You, you had the tick treated, sorry? You had antitoxin yeah. given? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, antitoxin being given, the tick serum is very effective and the tick toxin should be out of the system well before a week later. Right. So I'd be questioning whether this is related to the tick or whether there is something else happening. Now, right. um, if there was a period of dehydration during the tick time, um, it could be kidney disease that is causing a decrease in appetite. But I would strongly yeah. suggest re returning to your vet and having a discussion about this because um, tick recovery is generally fairly rapid. 
after the antitoxins being given. Um, yeah. And so with this being a week down the track, um, I, I'm not sure that this is necessarily correlated to tick. Um, I think there may be something else happening here. Yeah. I just to add to that, I did go back and uh, she did have her bloods taken and they did say that everything was fine with her, with the test that they'd undertaken. So maybe have them ask if you could do a chest X-ray for you, uh, yep. just to make sure. One of the complications from ticks is you can get aspiration pneumonia, where you get a lung infection associated with having been unable to swallow. You end up with food in your in your in your thorax, and it causes lung infection. That won't right. show up on a blood test. So you could have a discussion about that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how to link this one specifically to the tick. I'm a little concerned, Steve, that there's something happening that's not related to the tick. Um, but certainly the dogs who have had ticks and their esophagus has been paralysed, you feed those dogs from an upright position so they don't bend down to their food bowl to eat. You sort of lift them up on the, onto a brick or two so that they're coming at the plate sort of from an upright position um, or you hand feed in those circumstances. But I, I'm, I'd be, I'm not quite sure why you'll be still getting paralysis of the esophagus a week after treatment. Valerie, welcome. Uh, you've got a 15-year-old foxy cross and not eating at the moment. No, she's not, no. Okay. So... Um, at 15, Valerie, we're in a situation where lots of organs may be changing and starting to not function quite as well as they should do. Is um, your dog drinking normally? Um, she doesn't drink an awful lot, but when she does have a drink, she drinks for quite some time. Yeah, I was suspicious that might have been the case. Um, I'd be a little nervous at a dog of that age and that breed type that kidney disease may be starting to rear its head. Um <laughs> Foxes are quite prone for that one. Have you had your vet check for uh, any bloods or urinalysis? Yep, she's had full tests done. She's mm -hmm. got no kidney disease. Um, they've checked all that out. Um, she's on um, Phenomav. Does um, she have seizures? Yeah, just slight seizures over a few years. And she has a quarter of a tablet twice a day. Mm-hmm. But we so Phenomad's normally an appetite stimulant rather than the other way around. It tends to make dogs hungry. Yeah, well, it's not making her hungry. Mm. We have to feed, hand feed and coax her just to take the tablet in, in a bit of food. Uh, is and it that she's not enjoying... Will she eat food with the... So sometimes medication given in food can make dogs not want to eat their food. Is, is it that as a, as, a, as a scenario here? No, I don't think so. I mean, she can go for two days and not eat anything and she just turns her nose up and her head away. It's, it seems like she hasn't got an appetite. Is she losing weight? Um, she has lost weight. She was about four and a half kilos and I think the last time we weighed her, she was a bit less than four. Yeah, I, I, I would perhaps maybe have another chat to your vet about perhaps an ultrasound or a chest X-ray here. If the bloods aren't showing that there's obvious metabolic disease, there may be structural disease. Um, okay. And so ultrasound and chest X-rays would be your next two ways to investigate whether there's a structural problem there. Yeah. Um, certainly a, 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 a weight again. loss is, the, is a bigger issue than not eating in that if you're not eating because you've got plenty of reserves and life is good, that's not an issue. But if you're not eating and losing weight, then there's a minimum weight you need to have and your body will start at that age to, to sort of 
catabolize your muscles if you're not getting enough protein into the diet. So um, I, I would look at some reinvestigation here. I, I, I think there's something more insidious happening. She's only a small dog. Um and yeah, so half a kilo is quite a big loss for mm. a small dog, yeah. yeah. Okay, look, yeah, it's, it's a hard one, isn't it? You need to go back and probably get some more tests yeah, and I try to find out. Yeah, I think this one has a bit of an insidious feel to me, mm. so I would okay. certainly investigate that one. Uh, let's go to Velvet in Abermain. Now, you're calling on behalf of your daughter, whose Maltese cross Moodle, which is two years old, seems to be possessive or jealous of your daughter, Nikki. Well, actually, it's, it's me. She's, she's my dog. Oh. Um, Nikki was calling for me. Yeah, um, she's um, <laughs> still very my confusing. Comes, I know, I know. She's my dog, um, and I got her when she was six weeks old. She's two now. Um, but yeah, if my husband comes over to give me his good night, he goes to bed early. She races up, jumps on my lap, and gets between us. Um, and if he gives me a hug, or anybody gives me a hug, she comes up and she's wanting to get between everybody. Um, and I just don't know how. I'm a bit worried because I've got grandkids, so um, I, she's getting a little bit aggressive sometimes yeah so there's a couple of things we need to do here certainly um there's a fear factor rather than a jealousy factor so Mm -hmm. the the actual tactile behavior that's occurring is not what dogs do so dogs don't hug each other and so what's happening when those hugs are occurring is that the body posture is telling this dog that this is an abnormal behavior and what's happening is the dog wants the behavior to stop um, so mm-hmm. the, the, it, okay. it, it may be less about jealousy and more about the fact that these direct contacts are, are mimicking um, dog interactions that are negative. So dogs don't do those tactile hugging games as, as we do. And so mm-hmm. it can be misconstrued as dogs as that this is um, the start of violence. And so oh. dogs don't want violence in a family. So what they often try and do is step in to prevent those types of things. So I, I would suggest in this circumstance that you would certainly, as your husband is approaching, you try and have your set up for success, you would throw her a treat before you try and have direct contact and hug so that what we're doing is linking a positive experience with what the dog may be seeing as a threatening experience. Um, With regards to grandchildren, I would suggest with this type of behaviour, I would make sure that the grandchildren were probably not in direct um, access when you're doing hugging of those um, because at this stage the children's body language will be very difficult for a dog to read and so the dog will be confused by their body language. Kids give lots of mixed signals to dogs. They're hard for for dogs to read. And so in that circumstance where aggression is a possibility, you would just make sure your dog isn't in the room when you're doing those sorts of tactile behaviours. But you could certainly look at trying to do some desensitisation with this dog and whenever there was direct contact with people you'd make sure your favorite treat toys or your favorite toys are around to link those experiences as positive to try and take the threat out of them okay good luck with that one and i think we have time for one more call uh thank you for waiting so patiently mick we appreciate it now you've got a nine-year-old dog with separation anxiety yeah that's right um as, as a younger dog she wasn't too bad we used to be able to leave her with uh my younger daughter who had a, a similar dog they got they get along okay and as she got older, she again, well, she also developed a fear of the storms now. So, but more, the more of concern is the separation anxiety. When you leave her or try and leave her with anyone, yeah, she gets herself very worked up and ends up with diarrhoea. Yeah, so stress, ang- stress can induce those sorts of dietary issues as well. Um, this is a very anxious dog now. 
And so I, I would talk to your vet about trying some behaviour modifying medication to help with that anxiety. Um, and in a nine-year-old dog, we're looking at really risk management rather than cure. You're not going to reverse this separation anxiety now. Um, if it was present from a young dog and it, it, it always gets worse over time, um, if you catch them early, you can often try and desensitise that anxiety and, and train them that separation is not an, un, an unsafe thing. At nine, I'll be honest, you, you, you're really trying to minimise the likelihood of a dog hurting itself or being scared in those time periods. Um, and, and I would either make sure that someone's generally around the dog um, or, or, or that someone comes to your house rather than you take your dog to somebody else's house, um, trying to minimise the fact that a house sitter would be a better situation for a dog anxious like this um, than necessarily taking the dog to a location that it may not feel necessarily safe in. Yeah, no, OK, that's... That's probably what I, I'd sort of thought myself, but I just thought I'd get that confirmed. A bit of confirmation. Yeah, yeah. Certainly at nine, um, we, we can make changes to, to networking in the brain and more links and things, but um, it's like teaching an older person. Um, children are much faster at learning than, than humans are, and the coping strategies that the dogs already made are working, so it's hard to reverse those. Okay, thanks, Mick. And let's have a look at our dog of the week, <laughs> Magic Mike. <laughs> Are we seeing a Channing Tatum sort of lookalike here? <laughs> oh, uh, it's a yeah. cute dog. Oh, my gosh, he's so cute. 2NURFM.com to have a look. Uh, the gorgeous Magic Mike, he's a male, 11-week-old Siberian Husky Cross Bull Arab puppy. Whew. That's a lot in there. Now, he's a big teddy bear with a brown fluffy coat, dark button eyes. I mean, check him out. He's absolutely gorgeous. He's the biggest of his siblings, also a little more cruisy. Uh, but, Paul, he is an Arctic breed, so mm -hmm. you do need experience yeah. with, with a dog this big and yeah. of this breed. This wouldn't be your first time dog owner dog. Okay, yep. so he's intelligent, active, would love a friendly, energetic, medium-sized female dog to play with in his new home. But yeah, as mentioned, uh, you need to really love these breeds and know a lot about them. So he's gorgeous. If you think that uh, you've got that covered, then please have a look at 2NURFM.com because oh, he's just beautiful. <laughs> he is <laughs> cute. Oh, he very much is. And look, we're just about out of time. Cheryl, we didn't get to hear your topic today. Oh, I love just have to dogs. sit on it for another week, Sarah. <laughs> we can be, uh, we can take comfort in that it probably will be hot again for yes. the next oh, few, few months. So. Don't start up. Don't start. It will me be up. relevant. Okay. <laughs> okay. And Dr. Paul, thank you. Busy one for you today. Yes, kept me busy. Thank you very much. We like listeners. that. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Two NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>